You're listening to the Lessons in Real Estate Show, sponsored by Mission First Capital, bringing real estate investment deals for active duty and veteran investors. Your host, Anthony Pinto, searched land, air, and sea to find military investors just like you investing in multifamily and commercial real estate, both active duty and veterans. Hear their stories, learn their lessons, and be inspired by the obstacles they have overcome on their path to financial freedom. Whether you are overseas or stationed at home, if you want to get started as a military real estate investor, this is the show for you. And now your host, Anthony Pinto. I'm so excited to have you guys here today on the revamped new and improved version of the Lessons in Real Estate show. I wanted to refocus on my mission here in life uh, with this podcast, and that is to help teach and inspire 1 million military members and veterans to achieve financial freedom through real estate. And as a part of the March to a Million campaign, my call is to show you the path to freedom of time and money, whether you intend to stay in for 20 years or get out next year. And so listen to the stories of fellow military members and investors just like you struggling, overcoming and achieving success in multifamily real estate and even some of them doing it while active duty and really dig into their lessons learned as well as their failures on their path to success. Uh, But you came here for the show, so let's get to it. Awesome. So that's really interesting that you have two two different uh, you know sides of it for inside sales because I've you know never really thought of it like that. But so do you guys focus mainly on you know kind of prospecting leads or any leads coming in and focusing on uh, turning those into actual clients, or do you focus more on like going after probates, doing the research, you know, that you, the you know, the former that you mentioned? Yeah, it's funny you ask that, because I think f- when I started the company, uh, this was 2015, we were 100% focused on outbound prospecting, cold calling, right? We we're calling the lists. That was the number one thing we did. And we had, you know, I think we had 20 people doing that at one point. Uh, and now, fast forward, you know, five, six years later, I think it's, 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 it's flipped, right? We'd probably do something like 70%, more than half of the company is focused on an inbound leads. Leads coming in from Facebook, uh, Google, social, just social media in general. Um, you know, and I think 20, 30% of what we're doing now is outbound cold calling. I think the industry's moved that way, right? Uh, it's uh, the outbound prospecting is getting harder. It's getting harder because of the regulations, because of the technology, you know, it's getting a little bit harder than it was before. Um, but in, but in, in such a hot uh, seller's market, it's still worth it for a lot of companies, a lot of teams, especially investors, right? Investors, it's a big part. I think investors have an advantage with cold calling because they're not looking to call like a whole neighborhood, right? They're not looking to like carpet bomb everything like a realtor would do. Realtor wants to talk to anyone and everyone that might be thinking of selling potentially or know someone that's going to sell. Um, and the investor is very different, right? Typically, the investors that we work with, you know, uh, they, they have a specific list. Like I need these properties, right? So call these specific people that meet this criteria, whatever that criteria is, high equity. It's a certain age of the home, an age of the owner, a specific zip code, of course, you know, a certain, a certain, a certain uh, blueprint, right? They want a certain kind of, you know, like, like Austin, Texas, they love the three bed, two bath, you know, built in the seventies, right? That they know they can move that product and an investor kind of knows what they want, uh, just zeroes in on that. Or, or the small multifamily, one through four, right? They want one through fours that might be in the in not so great condition, right? It might be like, yeah, it's probably this, this property might be on the low end or they're driving for dollars. They've, they've made their own list. They've made their own list by driving for dollars. And usually the ISA is a combination of 
uh, it's one of the many ways you reach out to these lists. The lists are very expensive to create, right? Very different from retail real estate. When we're calling about prospecting for retail real estate, it's like the phone book. <laughs> it's essentially like that. You're buying a big chunk of the phone book and you just call everybody. Um, and the investor actually usually, typically, uh, invests a lot more money in these lists. So they're, they, they're calling them, the investor's mailing them, they're doing maybe drop-bys, they're, 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 they're texting them, they're using everything they can uh, to get the attention of these folks. Mm-hmm. So, so speaking of attention, you know, especially in an online platform, you know, prospecting through Facebook, Google ads, um, you know, having content up on YouTube, uh, there's obviously a lot of, of um, flack that's out there. There's a lot of things, um, ads that people are putting out, a lot of things to draw your attention away. Um, you know, and this is something that I've, I've recently kind of looked at with Facebook and Google ads as well, is it can get real expensive really quick. And so how oh, yeah. do you make sure that, you know, you're maximizing your marketing budget on online kind of advertising or connecting with online leads so that you're not just spending, you know, thousands of dollars to only have one lead coming in or kind of blending in with the rest of uh, everyone yeah. else who's out there who's trying to do the exact same thing as you. Yeah, absolutely. That's a really good point, Anthony. So actually, let me bring up like the hierarchy that I see. Again, we manage hundreds of campaigns, uh, you know, for, for teams all across the country. So I have a really uh, good perspective on this. The lowest cost lead you can generate online is going to be on Facebook. Regardless, it's going to be on Facebook. And it's going to be the Facebook buyer lead. You can generate buyers on Facebook for pennies on the dollar. I, you, and if it's the right market, not a, not a very competitive market, medium size, a smaller market, 20 cents for a buyer lead, 50 cents for a buyer lead. It's, just, it's that low, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but on the other end of the spectrum is going to be the, the seller lead, that they are more expensive to generate, right? There, there's less of them. There's much more competition for them, especially in a market like this. But, but even in a more balanced market, the seller is more expensive because the seller, the, the internet has not figured out a great way to generate sellers. They basically have the home valuation ad. They've got the like the like the lead magnet guide to sell your home, something like that, or 10, seven tips to sell your home for more money, whatever it is. Um, and for the motivated seller, the distressed seller, it's like that cash fast. Like, hey, here's money uh, as is condition, cash in three days or whatever it is, right? So th- those three buckets are essentially what we have for seller lead generation on the internet. That's essentially it, right? Everything, at least that I've seen, every funnel I've seen, you can classify into one of those three things. So they're, they're pricier. They're more difficult to generate, um, and they tend to. Con- so this is the bonus: they tend to convert at a low, much lower rate than buyer leads do. They tend to convert at a much lower rate. So on the on the buyer side, I said typically you can get uh, pennies on a dollar. Typically, it's going to be maybe a couple bucks, right, for a buyer lead. Uh, a seller lead is ten times that, right? It starts at ten to fifteen dollars. Starts mm-hmm. at ten to fifteen dollars. In a lot of markets that I see, uh, a seller lead can be 20, 20 to 20, twenty to thirty, and the motivated, distressed seller. Uh, can be twenty to fifty dollars a lead per lead per lead, right? So you have to be uh, cognizant of that. You have to be. You have to understand that well, and you have to have your marketing really dialed in. You gotta have it really dialed in. Your marketing has to discriminate. Um, you know, and then in the best, you know, <laughs> in the best meaning of that word, right? The best you can't you, you can't discriminate on on on, uh, on housing advertising, but you want to discard people that have a, a retail property. That's the number one thing. You don't want people that want to know the value of their home. They want a cash offer on a retail property. That's the number one thing. So I see a lot of investors, for example, on Facebook, which is a very visual platform, they're going to put a picture of an ugly house. Like, hey, get rid of that, right? Cash right away. Get out of that home. Get rid of it. And they're targeting typically like a probate, like an inheritance, like a, like a older kind of, someone that wants to get rid of a home, right? Mm-hmm. They may not need it, may not want it. 
um, or someone that lives in a property like that. I'm like, hey, let me cash out on this thing. See how much equity it has because um, they might need money in the moment, right? So they want to discard people that, that, that don't have an ugly house. They don't have an ugly house. Um, on the other end of this, right, in the, on the conversion funnel, the ad is the first step. That's the first step in the funnel. Uh, the ISA or, or, you know, or the investor is on, is on the back end, right? So their job, once the lead comes in, is to talk to them, and they're doing two things. And this is also a big difference with retail real estate. They're not just qualifying the lead. They're not just qualifying the seller. They're qualifying the property as well, right? It's not just that you want money right away, that you want a cash offer. In this market where you have the I buyers, the institutional buyers, buying retail property cash, right? So, so yeah, people can get cash offers all the live long day, um, but investors, they need more than that. They need more than the desire to get money like, right away. They need the property to qualify and to have some potential, uh, you know, renovations as renovated value. They have to have like skin on the bone uh, to make the deal make sense, right? So all of those things uh, factor in. These are way more expensive leads than typical Facebook. They're way more expensive. And, and, and for Google, it's a really similar. Uh, I don't have the exact numbers because I, I work less with Google, but the ones that I work with every day, uh, dozens of times a day, are looking at these Facebook numbers. And it's dramatic. The, the, the difference in price is dramatic. So you really have to go into it. I wouldn't, I would, as an investor, I would never tell anyone start with Facebook or start with Google. It's, you can't. Because making a mistake there, you're going to toss $3,000 down the tubes if you're not careful with what you're doing, right? Mm-hmm. You've got to have to cut your teeth driving for dollars. you got to drive your, cut your teeth doing mailers. You've got to cut your teeth doing drop-bys. You've got to do, figure out how to convert first before you start adding other channels and other avenues of leads. I think that's like super, super key. If you cannot take a list and convert it without online, without online, if you can't take that list and get deals out of it, and get some cash going and get it moving, then you have no business spending thousands because you have to spend thousands. Mm-hmm. If one lead costs $50 and a one to 2% conversion rate is what you can get, well, it's probably gonna be higher than that because one to 2% is like the retail conversion rate. Investors, it's higher, but it's in the low single digits. It's in the low single digits conversion rate. You have to spend thousands of dollars uh, to get a deal. You have to spend one, two, three, four thousand dollars $4,000 to get a deal. And, and you gotta be prepared for that. And if you don't know how to convert those leads, you're going to waste a lot of money. Got to be careful. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that's a, that's a really good point you make there. And, and uh, you know, it's, I think that's something when uh, on the syndication side, when you're trying to raise money. For, so I guess there's a side where you're trying to look for properties, right? Uh, whether that's residential, multifamily, commercial, so on and so forth. Then you got the other side where it's, I, hey, I'm trying to find people to raise capital, right? To invest with me. Um, and I think that's absolutely true in, in either regard, right? Trying to find your exact avatar, trying to get in, and nail down as much as possible. Because everyone on the investing side, everyone is trying to look for accredited investors. Everyone is trying to get investors on the, you know, to, to invest with them, right? Um, and yeah. so they're not very broad on a lot of the marketing that they're necessarily putting out. Um, and I think, how do you stand out among that? And you can be as specific as possible, right? You can connect with people that are just like you. Like I see a lot of of people that are successful uh, who are like lawyers or doctors who appeal to other lawyers and doctors, right? Uh, but if they just put it out kind of to the world, you know, that's, it's not really going to get them a lot, a lot back there. Um, like you said, they'll probably end up spending a lot, a lot of money um, trying to, trying to find, you know, specific people or trying to find specific people out of the hundreds and hundreds of people that don't meet that criteria. But I think that's a really, another good point you mentioned about how you're kind of uh, filtering out the people who may have gotten through, uh, through through your marketing that don't still apply because you know when you're dealing with 
50, 100 different calls a day, right? And only 10 of them are actually applicable. Well, you're wasting 90 calls on, uh, on people <laughs> who didn't do anything for you, right? They're literally a suck of money. They're a suck of your time. Um, so, so I guess the next question is, is um, what are you guys specifically doing to make sure that, um, you know, particularly on Facebook, you're still consistently kind of getting leads and appointments in? And, and let's talk it from kind of the, the seller side. Um, and, and maybe that's more, maybe that's a question that it needs to be more generalized because I'm sure it depends on each company that you're working with. Um, how to, yeah, how to generate definitely. those people, you know what I mean? Um, yeah. but, uh, I, 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 can, I can definitely speak to that, right. From, from, from our experience, right. On the, on the conversion end. Um, I think for, for Facebook, um, you know, uh, th there's this notion that you can kind of set it and forget it, right. Like, hey, once you kind of figure it out, uh, you know, Hey, I, I got the right picture. I've got that ugly house. I've got my call to action, right. On Facebook, you're going to have to make sure you, you place yourself in the shoes of the consumer. It's interruption based marketing. They're not on Facebook to sell their home. They're not on Facebook to solve their problem. They're not, right? They just they want to look at baby pictures. Uh, they want to go fight about Trump or whatever it is. They want to do something, right? They're not looking for real estate or, or, or for money on Facebook. You got to get their attention. You got to stop. They got, they're scrolling on this device on the, on the phone, right? I love, the, I love the show. They're scrolling on this thing. You got to stop scrolling and look at your ad. And that's the picture and the headline. It's got to be, it's got to be an attractive, uh, 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 not an attractive picture, an attention grabbing picture. Mm -hmm. And you've got, fast right you know a close in seven days we can, we can solve your problem it has to really speak to the need like right off the bat um here's another interesting thing facebook does not let you do demographic targeting for real estate you cannot go and say i want to target the lowest income bracket and i want to target this neighborhood and i want to target this ethnicity right um you know some investors would love to do that because they have a profile like hey, my avatar like I, i'm living in houston right like hey, there, there's very marked different folks different ethnicities and, and nationalities in some of these neighborhoods the federal government says you can't do that right so what the only thing you have is the copy in the ad the ad copy right mm -hmm. so that ad copy and and this is where the dance comes in you know anthony because Facebook also doesn't want you to be too explicit in that ad copy. They don't want the ad to say, hey, I see that you're going through a divorce. So let me help you get rid of that property. Because that is, here's the thing. Facebook knows that. Facebook, like with an accuracy that's unbelievable, knows who's going through emotional distress, knows who's going through divorces and job loss and, and health problems. They know this for the people that are on their platform. They know, they can tell. Mm -hmm. They can tell with a high degree of accuracy Who's in trouble, like emotionally? They know this, uh, and but they will not let you target based on that, right? But your copy, the copy you put, you can't say show this ad to really, really depressed people. You can't do that. Right. But if your copy speaks to a need that they have, the algorithm is scary good at targeting people that way. And, and another way to see it, you know, this is relevant to your audience, Cl clients that work with us that you run VA loan ads, you know, lo loans targeting military folks. You cannot target them as a community on Facebook. You can't, but the copy speaks to them, right? Active, retired military, you know, serving your country, you know, or they have some kind of program. Uh, they're saying, hey, you know, loans for heroes, you know, and they've got, you know, photos of the American flag and they've got something that's patriotic, military-based. Even though you don't have targeting, the ads show to the right people. The ads come up to the military folks active and, and, and former military mm -hmm. that qualify for VA loans that, that, that might know someone in that community. So VA loan ads are some of the best converting ads. They're pricey that the, the leads are not cheap, uh, but they're some of the best converting ads, right? Because the targeting is so good. 
through the, and you can't use any of the built-in targeting for these ads. It's just based off the ad copy. And the algorithm is smart enough to show it to the right people. The same principle applies to the distressed seller, believe it or not, right? If your ad speaks to one of their needs, it can, it can, it can talk about um, you know, needing money. It can list out different conditions. You can't say, I know you're going through a divorce, but hey, if you're going through any of these situations, like list them out, uh, that can be an effective way to kind of make it work for you and your area. Um, and playing around with the Facebook compliance is also kind of an art form. It's a science and an art. You've got to get your ad through compliance um, to make sure you're not calling Facebook, a lot of policies, I'm not going to get, in, that's a whole other interview, right? Getting, getting a Facebook ad through compliance. Um, but if, but if you, if you're not targeting people, like not calling them out for any situation they're going through, if you're not, you know, making any financial promise you can't keep, uh, the ad will pass compliance. It's challenging, but you can do it. Um, and once you, once you do it though, you can run that ad for typically a very long time. Here's the reality. The ads they go through ups and downs, right? You've got to be monitoring this, especially when you when you start generating lead flow and deal flow, you're going to be putting 10, 15 bucks a day. And then you're going to be doing 20, 30, $50 a day. Then you're going to be doing a hundred, $200 a day on these, on these systems. You're monitoring it every day. You're looking at it. The marketers that do this professionally, they're looking at these numbers every single day and they're making adjustments and they're testing new ads and they're testing new offers, right? As the market shifts, as the market changes, they're going to be modifying offers to kind of match the market of that moment. What is working? What is working? What's not working? What kind of, so, I mean, this is, this is, I'm just, I'm stating facts. This is hundred percent accurate from what my clients tell me during COVID, you know, and this is for retail real estate, a surge in folks getting divorces, right? Why? Because COVID was a very, has been a very stressful time and you couldn't get out of the house and some people just couldn't handle that and they don't want to be married anymore that is, you know, a market of the moment, right? Uh, you know, that, that is just reality. So you, as you adapt and you can target folks that are going through these situations, um, you can help them. You can help them in any which way you want as a retail real estate agent, as an investor, et cetera. So the, the folks that are having tremendous success with Facebook are constantly modified, even though you can set it and forget it. And a lot of people do that. You should be changing it. You should be monitoring it. And you should be uh, uh, always testing out new ideas. You got to be testing out the next thing. The thing you heard on the podcast, the thing you heard at the, at the seminar, maybe you're, you're going to an investor meetup, that thing that guy talked about, you've always got to be trying those things out because nothing tells you that that's going to work forever. It's not, right? It can just run out of gas. You can, if you're targeting a relatively small area, maybe it's only 500,000 people, you're, you're going to show it to every, if you run on that long enough, you're going to be showing it once, twice, three, four, five times to the same audience. And it's going to lose effectiveness there as well. So um, kind of, I don't know if this answers your question, Anthony, but that's what I see. <laughs> the folks that, that actually generate a high yield and high return on these ads are constantly testing out new things and, and not assuming that they can set it and forget it. Yeah. So, so kind of follow up question that then is, is your company as an inside sales doing that for the individual or is the individual that's hiring you the one constantly kind of looking at the marketing ads and kind of revamping them or is it kind of a combination? It's, it's the individual doing it for that, for themselves. Right. And it's usually the investor that's bringing that in house or they've hired a marketing agency to do that for them. Once you achieve scale, the marketing agency makes a lot of sense. Um, but I, but I always tell folks in the, in the retail space and in the investor space, you got to try it out yourself. You got to, you got to figure out what's doable by a novice, right? Cause you would be surprised. Uh, you know, a smart person, can, th these tools are made for consumers. 
the Facebook ads manager is not made for an engineer or a professional marketer, you know, whatever that means. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's built for consumers to use. So you can, you can figure them out. If you're somewhat computer literate and you can use YouTube, you can launch a Facebook campaign in a couple of hours. It's, it's not that challenging. And if you use the search engine and you use YouTube, which is like the, search, the visual search engine of the world, uh, you know, you can find ads, you can test out, test them out in your market, see if they can mm -hmm. work. Um, you know, try, try and uh, test those different things or put yourself in the shoes of that consumer. That's why I always tell folks, it's so important. You have to know how to generate leads without the online. You got to start with boots on the ground, sweat equity, get that list and make it happen because that's going to educate you on what the consumer wants. Like, what is the solution? If you've closed deals, right, off of these lists, then you know what that conversation was like. You know what they were going through. You know kind of what they needed. And it's not always the number. It's not always the number, especially for investors. It's the terms. It's the speed. It's, you know, all of those things. It's, you know, having empathy with the person. You might see a distressed seller with multiple offers. That's not rare in this marketplace, right? With investors paying at or above retail in some of these markets because they can tear down the property and build two, right? It's already, you, you, the investors are scooping these up and taking them from even from retail buyers if they know their stuff. Mm -hmm. but, but the connection they can make with that person, uh, that's what's going to help you close that deal. That same skill set, that same insight is kind of what you have to translate into these ads. And the people that do it at the highest level are really, really, really good at that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I can, I can definitely see that. Um, and, I, and, and I think to your point, I think this is probably true for residential or multifamily is, is getting local, getting hyper local on what you're looking at, right? Um, you know, someone who's in California trying to buy something in New Jersey probably doesn't have, uh, you know, a connection to those individuals on like what they're going through, right? Something that the governor passed that, you know, raised taxes, you know, or, you know, some kind of individual local situation. And you wouldn't have that perspective unless you were, you're local to that area. Um, so it, it brings up uh, an, another question before we get into the snapshot round for you here. Uh, so you've, you've obviously kind of talked a lot about residential real estate and um, especially when you're kind of doing the, the wholesaling, um, going after sort of individuals that meet a certain criteria, right? Go, those distressed sellers. Um, but that's often less, um, I guess, noticeable in a multifamily situation, right? When you're getting four, five, 10, 20, so on units, uh, you kind of had to get past the first gatekeeper, which is figuring out who to actually target, right? Because they may have some LLC, you got to get to the LLC, then you actually got to get to the person. Okay, who is this person? Like, is there some, some sort of motivation? So um, I, I found that it, it's kind of difficult to transfer kind of the same marketing strategies that you would use for a distressed seller in, in you know, retail real estate or residential real estate and try to transfer that into multifamily. Because most of the time, those guys are investors that have bought those properties, right? They're looking at it from a different perspective, right? They may have had some sort of divorce or they may have COVID issues that have affected that, but it's, it's not going to be as, um, I guess, a higher percentage as you would see with, with residential buyers. So do you have any advice for anyone that kind of fits that mold who wants to do maybe smaller multifamily or get into larger apartment buildings? And trying to find the right marketing strategy, um, or maybe even in-person strategy for uh, for finding yeah, this absolutely. property. So directly. You, you hit the nail on the head, Anthony. The, these online strategies they don't work as well for multifamily as they do for for single-family uh, homes because of what you mentioned. It's a lot easier to target that consumer on these consumer sites. 
Um, for folks that are targeting, you know, small multifamily or even like medium, you know, larger than four units a multifamily, the prospecting works a lot better. Like prospect, calling people on the phone, texting them, like finding out. And like you said, you have to jump through those hoops. Like, hey, they, they might have some kind of gatekeeper. Um, those are always harder to convert. They're going to be the professional investors. Uh, typically, the folks that we work with are targeting the smaller uh, multifamily two to four, and they're looking for the mom and pop owned properties. That's what they're looking for. That's usually what it's going to be a better uh, a kind of a deal for them. And phone call, and, and with that demographic, the phone works really well. You actually, you can hit a, a higher uh, a connection rate. You actually, they're willing to talk to you on the phone. Um, what, what, what you say to them there, that's the interesting part, right? But they, they're willing to pick up the phone uh, more than some of these residential uh, lists, some of these residential folks, um, you know, because they, they just tend to be older. They tend to be older. And, and that's a target demographic a lot of our investors target. I take folks that they might not want to deal with these properties anymore. They might be at some point where they want to liquidate. Uh, they, you might have caught them at the right time. It's a value-add property now, right? They're like, yeah, it's not. It's a little bit run down. You know, it's uh, it's. It, it, I, I forget what the term is. You're looking for the the C property in the B neighborhood, right? It's something you can add some value to, um, and, and that they might not be at the top of the market right now. So, so that's the kind of property, uh, you know, that that prospecting lends itself much more to, like telephone prospecting. And, and even the mailers and, the, and you know, hand-to-hand -hand combat, right? Going out and meeting these folks. Um, but I would say that that two to four mom and pop owned property is probably a pretty big sweet spot for a lot of investors. Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I appreciate you bringing that up because it's, uh, I think a lot, of, a lot of people, I think as you get larger into to less away from retail real estate, less away from residential real estate, you kind of thin out the pack a little bit because the barrier to entry is a lot higher. Um, is. which is good and bad, right? Cause now you have less competition to find those individuals, but now there's a kind of a lot more cost to actually get into it and, <laughs> and playing that field. And now you're dealing with, okay, I had to actually bring money to the table. I got to bring experience. I got to bring in other people to help loan guarantee rather than just, you know, maybe having a hundred or $200,000, you know, that can kind of continuously rotate as you're finding a buyer, finding a seller and kind of matching them up. Um, so it's, it's a, it's an interesting thought that, that you bring up there. So I appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. And usually what I see is that, you know, folks follow a certain chain, right? They, they, they start with maybe condo investing and then they kind of move into single family home, right. Or, or some combination of that. And then they start discovering the small multifamily, right? Hey, you know, I can, I can trade, you know, I've built that, especially if they've done this in the last five, 10 years. Um, you know, I've built equity in my single family. Let me let me flip that over to a multifamily, right? Let me get a, a small multifamily. And once they figure out the multifamily, you know, numbers and the and the economics of it, um, that's they they that's all they want to do, right? Because it just makes more sense, right? Economically, um, you know, and if you can find some kind of value add property, it definitely makes more sense to to put that time and effort in renovating like a multifamily property than a single family property. And you go from there, right? You know, I I got one of our uh, clients that started with you know ones and twos. Uh, and, and I think his last deal was like 17, 20 units in a single and one fell swoop, right? Like a single property mm -hmm. uh, that could do that and out of state, not just so he started locally. I was doing, you know, multifamily out of state. So I think that's where you want to progress to. Um, it, it's, a, it's a chain. It's a chain. One, each link in the chain helps you unless you're starting with a ton of money. Well, yeah, can you jump <laughs> in, you know, maybe. Right. Um, but if you're building yourself up, you're building up that that capital, you're building up that and you're uh, building up the credibility to get those partners, to get that additional cash. Um, I think you're going to start small and build up from there. Yeah, absolutely. No, couldn't, couldn't agree more. All right, Gustavo, you ready to get into the snapshot round? Let's do it. All ahead, plank, cavitate, snapshot, tube, tube. All right, Gustavo, what is your number one failure in real estate? 
my first flip was my number one. Oh, no doubt. No, this is, this is a hilarious story because we, we, we bought this property, you know, me and my brother-in-law and my in-laws. So it was like a family thing, right? Let's get everyone, pull their money together. Let's get this property um, and, you know, bought it and let's flip it. And let's do like a typical, let's do a two month project that tends up taking like six months, right? That's the typical thing. And here's the kicker. This is before, you know, this, I, I, no, actually, I was already licensed. I'm not embarrassed to say I was already a licensed agent, allegedly, like brand new agent. Um, and, you know, me and my brother-in-law priced this property as renovated, right? So he said, hey, we bought it for, I think we bought it for around 200. Um, it was a huge house in Seattle. We renovated it, bare minimum, right? And, you know, we wanted to flip it for, um, I think the pro- we wanted to make $50,000 out of it. So we probably were flipping it for like 260, 270. Um, so maybe 300, who knows, right? Um, and, and here's, here's, this is a hundred percent true story. Zillow.com, Zillow.com had it, the Zestimate had a price of like 360, like a prop, almost a hundred thousand above what we could support with comps. So what do you think we did? We said, Hey, Zillow can't be wrong. Let's let's, let's go for it. Maybe it's 400. Maybe it's not, maybe we're totally wrong. Maybe Zillow saw all the work we did. And it's like, it's worth way more than that. Right? So this is the level of inexperience and wishful thinking you can go into and the irrationality you can fall into as an investor, like a newbie investor just doesn't know what they don't know. The only expert in the room was my wife, which an experienced agent said we were nuts. And we like, you're being a pessimist. Let's be an optimist. Let's see what happens. And this is the thing. This is 2010, right? So the market was not going up every month. It was going down every month. If you mispriced a property in that kind of a market, you are dead, right? Because the, mar- the price already went down the next month and it went down the following month. So long story short, a year later, we haven't sold this property yet. I ended up, actually probably two years later, I ended up buying out um, you know, my in-laws and my brother-in-law and I had bought the property, right? And, uh, it was, we, we limited the loss. It wasn't massive. We just, it was a, we all took a, a loss on that and I turned it into a rental and was able to modify it to a duplex. It was a huge house, rent out the basement, thousand square foot apartment, two bedrooms and an upper 2,200 square foot, three, two, three bed, two bath. And, and, and that's a thousand dollars cash flow every month on that property. And it's been the best to date, the best rental I've ever gotten. The best rental, like that, like true cash flow every month. Um, and there, so I had a happy ending. <laughs> I had a happy ending, ending a few years later, um, but it wasn't easy. It wasn't easy to, to make that happen. So, you know, the worst investment I ever made, I was able to kind of recover, take my lumps and turn it into one of the best uh, investments I ever made. So that's a, a long-winded answer to your, to your question. No, I, I appreciate you, you kind of delving into that because I, 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 I have found that that's a very common situation that a lot of people find themselves in. You know, they have this money, they don't have a lot of experience and they just you know, kind of jump straight into it because everything makes sense, right? They're like, there can, there can be no wrong with this. Like we bought the perfect property, we got the right contractor. And then, you know, everything outside of your, of your forces starts you know, conspiring against you. And then, you know, like yeah. you said, a year later, but I'm really happy that that ended up turning, you know, into a good situation in the end. Cause that's kind of a killer for a lot of people's, you know, thought process on real end. estate, you know? It can, yeah. It can be, it can be the end like a deal like that can set you back a lot, a long way. Like I was still in high tech, you know, I was making good money. This was not my, you know, my primary thing. Um, you know, so I was able to kind of take, take a, take a loss on that for a while. Um, you know, and, and yeah, you know, and it was, a, it became a family thing. I'm not even going to get into that. You know, even the family <laughs> moved, moved over, you know, uh, uh, went over, was over it at some point. 
Uh, but yeah, it was a kind of a crazy story, but those things can happen, especially your first deal, guys. And that's the, I mean, you, you got to be prepared for the unexpected to happen. The most important thing is make sure it doesn't sink you financially, right? You don't want to take a decade to recover from your first deal. Mm -hmm. uh, just kind of manage the amount of risk you can take on. But, but even there, you know, you're going to take, you're going to, you're going to take a bath in that first deal. You got to get it done. You got to get through it. Do your best. I'm not saying be, be sloppy, but understand that you're going to learn. That was my master's degree in real estate investing, that property, that property, like pricing, um, comps, uh, the, the acceleration of the market, all those things. I learned it like that, you know, it was very, very hard, very expensive lesson, but I learned it for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, you've, you've obviously given a lot of advice on, on the marketing side and how to make sure you're, you're kind of maximizing your, your lead generation there. Um, what advice or tips, I guess, do you have for investors getting started that may not be local to an area that, you know, are investing overseas or investing from overseas or investing out of state into a particular market that they, you know, can't readily be local in? It's your team, 100%. I, I actually own rentals that I'm out of state and I'm not, I'm not a state uh, investor in myself, you know, were, I didn't purchase them when I was out of state, but I lived in Washington state then moved out. Um, so they became, you know, long distance uh, uh, rentals and it's a hundred percent your team. It's going to be a hundred percent your team. The, the, the agent that you're going to work with, the property manager you're going to work with their team, you know, you got to vet their team and make sure that it happens. And here's another thing, Anthony, do not be afraid to change teams because you're going to, as you go through the ups and downs of this process, you're like, hey, you're not meeting my expectation. Uh, you know, I was, I tried to be as clear as I could. Uh, I had to make a change. And I think you have to be honest with people about that and upfront. That's at least where I've had, I've struggled, right? You know, like, hey, after you're not doing the job, I got to fire you. Sorry, right? I, I got I to do what's right for this property and for my portfolio, right? Sorry. You know, and, and be able to say that like really clearly uh, and when you need to, because you're not going to be, you're not going to bet a thousand. You're not going to bet a thousand. Someone that looks great on, on a resume comes referred as a recommendation just might not do it for you you got to be honest with yourself that that can happen and have an alternative ready to go absolutely yeah i think that's a, a really great point um it's one finding the team but also changing your team if need be. changing the team i and you know and people change anthony i, I had a property manager watching that i loved absolutely loved the guy I worked for him for years and then the business went south, right? I'm not privy to what exactly happened. I just know the result and the result was not good. So yeah, I did have to make a change there. You know, after, after working with someone for years mm -hmm. and they were Mr. Reliable for me and suddenly they, they weren't. And, and they made some changes internally. I'm like, hey, well, good for you. It didn't work out. It didn't work out. And, and, they, and they lost business because of it. It happened. Absolutely. All right. And then last question for you, Gustavo. What is your dream? Oh man, that's a, that's, that's a good question. So my dream, and, I, and I'm, I'm building my way there. Part of my dream was to be a location independent entrepreneur. And I've achieved that, right? I'm 40 years old. I didn't do it off the bat. I'm a location. I can pretty much live everywhere, anywhere right now and run my team of 100 people and service hundreds and hundreds of clients that we have across the US and Canada. So that's one part of it uh, uh, is pretty much done. The next, the other part of my dream is to become financially independent through real estate investing so that I can go on and do everything else that I want to do. And the number one thing I want to do is teach. I want, that's my, uh, if I say the role that I am the best at in my company, the one that I enjoy the most is I am a teacher by heart. I would love to dedicate, you know, my time, my life, my, my energy to teaching without the need for the, for the monetary part of it, right? Whether that's teaching at a university, teaching online, if whoever wants to listen to me, uh, et cetera. That's what I want to do. That's my dream. Um, but I want to be financially independent of real estate to allow me to achieve that. I'm not there yet, but I'm on my way. 
Yeah, no, I think I think that's really noble. And, and you know, unfortunately, teaching really in any any sense of the word as a paid gig is, is it doesn't really doesn't really give a lot challenging. Back. I mean, both both <laughs> of uh, both of my um, uh, my mom and my stepmom are both teachers, and uh, it's first hand experience. It's it's not the most glorious you know profession, but it, it definitely doesn't provide as much money as it's worth. Um, yeah. You know, for how much time and energy you, you invest into it. But I think that's a really good point about having having enough money available to kind of do whatever you want, right? Without having to worry about dealing with, you know, a boss or having to deal with, you know, I have to keep this job because I need the money type of thing. Um, so I think that's a, a really, a really noble, uh, you know, prospect you have there. Um, but Gustavo, I appreciate you coming on here at the show and, and explaining and kind of detailing a lot of what you do as inside sales, but also kind of some tips and tricks for making sure that you're not just kind of wasting your money on, on online ads. Cause I think that's, um, I, I have definitely, <laughs> I've definitely just kind of exactly what you said, kind of set in, forget it. And, you know, thousands of dollars later, you're getting maybe one or two leads out of it. And you're like, where, where, where did I go wrong? So I think that's a, a really great point that you, you brought up there in tips and tricks. So I'm sure there's a lot of people that are going to do this, but if anyone wants to reach out to you or contact you, where can they go? Uh, yeah. The best way to reach me is my website, powerisa.com. That's, you can get in touch with me, my team, you know, uh, talk to us if you want to talk about anything, you know, I mentioned also on Facebook, continue the conversation there. Look for power ISA on Facebook. You'll probably find me. I also have a free Facebook group. Folks can join. Um, and we're always talking about real estate marketing, conversion, online leads, everything. So folks can continue the conversation there too. Perfect. Awesome. Gustavo. I hope you have a safe rest of your weekend uh please stay safe with covid and uh, yeah it was really great chatting with you thanks for coming on all right thanks so much anthony thanks for listening if you are a military investor and found this episode of the lessons in real estate show packed with great information tell your friends and leave a five-star rating on your listening platform every comment is read and appreciated don't forget to check out our weekly episodes of pci teaches brought to you by pinto capital investments Learn about basic and advanced topics in real estate investing. Catch updates on Anthony's journey through learn and teach segments. And listen to the tales of other military investors and real estate professionals every week. We'll catch you next time on the Lessons in Real Estate show.